0: the Startup Immigrants series of the Immigrants Squared podcast. Did you know that studies found that immigrants could be more likely than others to start businesses precisely because of their appetite for risk, which helped them go abroad in the first place? Join me on an adventure to build a safe space for immigrant entrepreneurs to motivate, support, and learn from each other. In each episode, you'll discover a special story, the motivations, struggles, and successes behind it. Buckle up. We're ready for takeoff. Hi, Dr. Fry. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Welcome. How are you?
1: I am great. I just appreciate you having me here, friend.
0: Thank you. It was so, so nice to meet you at the 2022 DC Startup Week, and I'm super intrigued to hear about both your immigration story and your entrepreneurship story. I heard your pitch in the pitch competition. It was awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah.
1: You know, I think you know, the the fascinating thing is that immigration, though many people try and make it seem that everyone has the same immigration story. The reality is, is that immigration stories are so personal, are so multi-layered and so complex. And so my immigration story status and my immigration story are very interesting in the sense of um, I was undocumented my first like eight nine years here in the US and the reason being is that I was adopted and my mom was living in um, Arizona because my older sister was really bad and so she was sent to a boarding school back when they had boarding schools for for kids that were bad I mean I guess they still have them now and so she was living in Arizona and my who I call my aunt, who is actually my, my mom. So the person I call my mom is my grandma, if, if people are still with me. And so she heard I was about to be adopted out. And so she decided to drive from Arizona up to Canada to get me from being adopted. And with that, I was living, um, in Arizona undocumented my first eight years. And, you know, back in the eighties, immigration was a thing, but it wasn't a thing thing like it is now right now. It's a thing thing. It's a divisive thing. And back then it wasn't like that. So. I lived in Arizona, five minutes from the Mexican border. So at any time, like 60, 70%, I don't know about 60, 70, maybe like 40%, 50% of my schools were undocumented people because we were so close to the border. So they would come across, go to school, and then go back across. Or their parents would go across to work and then come back, right? So borders... And immigration are such a, a big part of my life because borders, for even now, don't really exist to me. This man-made idea of you can't go here, you have to have a piece of paper to go there. And so I was undocumented, and it, it literally didn't mean anything to me. And then um, the one good thing that Ronald Reagan did was that in 1986 or 87, he had this amnesty law. And it was kind of twofold. The first part was like, if you've lived in the U.S. for X amount of time and all these other things, you get an immediate path to citizenship. Meaning that within three months, I had my green card. And I remember my mom taking me to Calexico, having to wait in line, have to go get a picture, and that was it. Like, that is how I got my green card, this really easy way. And the second part of that amnesty law, which is why ultimately the law failed, was that he was holding um, people who hired undocumented folks, holding them as, you know, against the law. And so people didn't like that because that was businesses. And so that's why the law ultimately failed was because they the part about holding um, businesses accountable for hiring folks, that would destroy so many businesses, right? Because we know that undocumented workers are literally the foundation, the, the bricks and mortar of the U.S. And so how many businesses would not have been successful without undocumented folks? And so I um, got my green card and didn't really realize like what having a green card meant to my life to my success at all. And so I remember I went to junior college 10 minutes away from where I grew up, I got in a fight. And my mom was so worried about me being deported because of my immigration status. And for me, I didn't even, like, it didn't even comprehend what that meant. Right. And so it was one of those things where my mom was really worried about going to the judge and making sure I wasn't deported because I got a fight on a green card. And so I was really, really lucky and privileged in the fact that I had this support system that helped me out. And from that point, I had a green card, you have to renew it X amount of years. And it got to be a point where when I looked at the cost, it was actually cheaper to become a citizen than it was to renew my green card. And that's literally the reason why I became a citizen. There was no other reason. It was this aspect of well, it's cheaper. I might as well become a citizen. And very nonchalantly, I might add. And so with that, I remember cause you have to go, you know, you have to take the test. You have to go in front, all this stuff. And I kept delaying it because I was doing other things. And that tells you how, how nonchalant I was about it. Until it got to be like the third or fourth time when I delayed it, that they sent me a letter. And it was kind of like, if you don't take this test now, you are going to have to wait X amount of time to become a citizen. And so I remember I was going to a volleyball tournament. I was going to a volleyball tournament in um, New York, I think it was. And I had to delay it because I was like, shit, I have to go get my citizenship. Like that nonchalant about it. And so it's really funny because like I look back and I'm like, damn, Jen, like that, you had it really, really easy. There were so many aspects of it that I did not even think about, didn't have to worry about, right? So I get my citizenship and like that was it I didn't have this fight this war this kind of um like this war for me to be thought as a a citizen or an American I have to have that it was people didn't realize I was an immigrant or undocumented until I told them and so it was very much like I said it pains me that I just had this very nonchalant experience of navigating a system but I also think it tells you how easy the system could be we just make it really complicated Right. it like for that amnesty law to occur, it wasn't anything. And it gave like over 3 million people like me our citizenship. And I also think about because I was too old for DACA. So what did that mean? Right. If my mom wasn't paying attention and saying, OK, we need to go get you this green card, if she didn't have the money, if she didn't have the English skill, like all of these things that prohibit people from knowing some um you know, situations that can help them out. And I was really lucky in that because my mom was like, there were some people online who really didn't have a clue. And so people have to think about what does, when you're also going for citizenship, what does that privilege of being able to speak English, be able to know like the different nuances of things you have to do, um, the, having the money available to do that aspect. I think people don't understand how important that is. So when people are like, well, you can just go become a citizen. It's almost like someone's just like telling you, well, you can just go build a plane and go, go to Mars. Like, it's almost that easy, and people don't understand the intricacies, the nuance, the privilege you have to have, the time you have to have, and the money you have to have.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it's not easy at all. But did you ever feel different, or did you ever feel like you don't belong, or that you are an immigrant?
1: I never had that feeling, because I never had to worry about that. You know, I identify, um, I'm a black female, I have an afro, I have a full-sleeve tattoo, I don't speak what you would consider like accented English, there was nothing that would make people think um, that I wasn't born here within the U.S. You know, I think when I think about being an immigrant, my mom um, was a dual citizen with Canada and the U.S. And when I think about that aspect of immigrant, it makes me think of, I have a different lens than other people, right? Because whenever we talk about citizenship, whenever we talk about those things, I'm able to bring a different lens into it because while my process was easy, there still was a process and there was still concern about what does it mean to have a green card? What does it mean to fully be a citizen? Because I think about when it comes to DACA, how if my mom didn't know, I and I was, I was too old for DACA, I could have sat with being undocumented and really not having affected me because I got scholarships to go to college until I was looking for a job. And that's when I, you know, I've I've read and heard from other people of they had no clue until this thing happened and then their whole world was imploded. Because now instead of being able to go get a job and do these things, they had to fight all this red tape, not only to get a job or whatever it is, but to even stay in the country.
0: Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's crazy how so many years later the laws are so different and immigration looks completely different than it did um, back then. Um, so where do you feel at home?
1: Where do I feel at home? You know, I think that's a very interesting thing. I think it's my mom. Um, so, I, you know, home for me was Arizona. My mom passed away in June of 2020. So home changes. Home for me um becomes more about people than place uh i think it's always hard when people are like well where your where's your hometown and i was like i was born in canada but i was raised in arizona and i can go back there i have friends i have my school i have you know old teachers and stuff but i think it's different when you don't have a home there right when you don't have a place you can walk into that you see pictures and memorabilia and scents and foods and like all of those things that tell you like this is. And so for me, home is where my friends are. So I would say like I look at home like maybe Durham, North Carolina, where a lot of my friends are. Um, I look at home as my sister who she splits time between Vancouver and Bali. And so I look at her as home. So home for me becomes more about people than it is actual places.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense because it's what you make of it and the place where you are. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially like for people who moved around a lot. Mm So uh, what got you into uh, entrepreneurship and how has that journey been?
1: You know, I think the thing about entrepreneurship is I think back to my mom and my mom was a very gritty person. Like she is the one who instilled my work ethic in me. She is the one who I remember she worked at the library for like 14 years and she instilled this, this voracious love of reading in me. And I remember that she got demoted and she was like, I don't care what you have me do. My check just better not be late. And so she always had this idea of just like working hard and grittiness. And I kind of, in a way, so I have two companies. My first one is Genfry Talks, which is a social justice firm. And I'm a professional speaker. And I talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, conflict, and kind of issues surrounding that. And for that one, it was me. Um, I was a college volleyball coach for about 15 years. And I saw that race and sport wasn't talked about the way I wanted it to. And so I decided to just leave coaching and do this thing, but I wasn't really sure about it. And I would say one of the things that she taught me was like, you can jump and do things. You just have to be able to work your ass off to make it happen. And I think in entrepreneurship, people see like the glitzy side of it right? Like they don't see like the underbelly of it, of how hard you have to work and how frustrating and how like you could be bawling your eyes out, but you still have things to do. And so I think she showed me that with my first company of like, she, she gave me the support of jumping, right? When I was like, I think I'm gonna leave college coaching. There wasn't a question of supporting me. We both didn't know what the hell I was going to do, but she supported me. And so I think like she gave me that grittiness and my company has been really successful. Um, And we're looking at how we can add on layers to support people. And then I think the second thing is I started a group travel app. So it's a a tech company and it's called Cordal. And so it's it's an inclusive group travel app. It's a logistical hub for all of your information. And with that, it's been a very different journey because I know college athletics. I know sports. I know the things that coaches and athletes need to hear and kind of the ways to, to give it to them. But baby, the tech world is a very, very different world. And so um, I kind of jumped feet first into it without having a clue. And like, I kind of joke with people, I'm not only flying the plane as I'm building it, I'm also like reading the instruction manual on how to fly it. (laughs) (laughs) Like literally, I'm flying this bad boy, and got the book in my hand, trying to go through the pages and read it and then building it. And so it's been an interesting journey. Like as my mom passed away, um, In June of 2020, and I started this in May of 2022. And so I think when you're an immigrant, to me, there's just this layer of grittiness to you that you know you have to work harder and differently. I think there's just this layer of, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be successful. And I also understand there's going to be a lot of what it takes to be successful. And you have to be okay with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what has been the most difficult and then the most fulfilling part of your entrepreneurship journey, both in the tech side and in the social justice side?
1: You know, in the social justice side, the most fulfilling thing is seeing people who are like, thank you. Thank you for talking about this. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for giving me skills to learn this um, because I try and come from a very like skill building mindset. And so they're just like, Thank you. And I think for me, right, it's not white people or people from dominant identities thanking me, but it's like people from underserved and underrepresented populations who are like, thank you. Because I couldn't say it, but I appreciate you for saying it for me. Um, so it's like me knowing that, like that's my North Star, is are the most harmed feeling like I'm doing their stories justice. Do the most harmed feel like I'm out there helping them and not using them as a token and hurting them, if that makes sense. Because I think what we tend to see, you know, after George Floyd, we saw a lot of DEI companies popping up and they didn't have the skills and knowledge and they were actually causing more harm because, you know, they saw that you can make money off of it. And so it frustrated me to see so many of these kind of like DEI in six weeks, how to become a six figure DEI person. And I'm sitting there like, bruh, you, you really don't care about people because the work of this is so difficult. It's time-consuming. It's heart-consuming. It's mind-consuming. And to say you can learn how to do this in six weeks, all it's telling me is that you're learning how to kind of do a money grab. Or and just so check really the box. Is, or check the box, right? I, I'm willing to go in there and say the things that people want me to say to get my money. And so I would say, like, for me, it's when people who are the most harmed are like, thank you. And that—that's my no star. Oof! I would say for the tech side, that's difficult because I, I feel like I don't know anything, and I know stuff. Like it, it's like it's like I know stuff, but I really feel like I don't know anything. And I mean, oh gosh, I, I'm gonna have to pause on that answer until I until I launch my MVP the last week of of October, <laughs> then I can give you more information. Because you know, I, I would say that. One thing that's that's awesome that's coming from it is relationships yeah. and how like amazing the, the the startup community is. Like the D C the, the D C startup community, but other startup communities are just so kind and loving and they're like, How can we support you? What do you need? Who can we reach out to? So I think that's been a blessing because I was so worried that it was gonna be just really like rough and trying to elbow your way and people be, have yeah. been so loving and kind. And so I think that has been like in this tech startup journey, it's been like, wow, people really do want to help. Like they really, really do. And you got to figure out what help you need from them. But in terms of the actual company, once I launch, maybe once I launch this um, MVP the la- end of October, then I can tell you. Because then it's like yeah. the nuts and bolts and the, the, the wheel really starts turning.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed your pitch during the DC Startup Week final day. So what is it that you're looking for just to use this platform, whether it's in your social justice or or your tech ventures? Um, anything that other entrepreneurs and people in the community can help you with? And then what can you offer to help others?
1: Yeah, I think for help, I would say for my social justice company, if you're looking to hire anyone to talk about DEI, talk about conflict, I'm your person. Um, we try and talk about these things um, in relation to, to who people are. I think many times we'll see DEI people are like, you need to change, you need to fix this, but people really don't know what they need to fix because they've never thought about pulling back the layers of why am I the way I am? And why do I think the way I am? So I kind of help with that stuff. Um, Some people, I guess would say a glorified therapist in a way. Um, And I would say with my app, which is Cordle app, dot com, is to just sign up for beta testing. And when it goes live, subscribe and help me work out the bugs and, and figure out what features need to be added but that's i think the biggest thing is to amplify um, the app sign up and beta test and help me out i would say um, what i can offer to people in this community is a person to kind of think through things with because um, so much of this stuff for startups we just have in our minds, and we think that we're going through all alone and the reality is, is that what you're going through, other people have gone through. And it's really good to have someone you could bounce things off of. I just had um, lunch today with someone I met at DC Startup Week. And we're talking about like app development and software. And we realize we're kind of going through the same issue. So we're able to give each other advice on it. And so I think it's like that is someone just to talk to of, am I doing the right thing? Am I handling this the right way? What are some suggestions about stuff? And I am still, I, I don't know if I say a baby, but maybe I'm a toddler in there. And so I might not be able to give advice on everything. I can maybe give advice on like one or a few things from my personal experience about what I've been through and how this helps support you um, in going through the same things. I would say um, for my social justice company, things I can offer you is no, you're not crazy. Your experiences are real and valid. And I think sometimes when we're experiencing them, when we talk to other people who don't have similar identities, we can feel like we're going crazy. And that's why I tend to see from a lot of friends is like, I, I, this thing happened, but I really don't know if it was happening. If it wasn't, I was watching this podcast and this woman, um, was saying that she was like, um, I would rather see people with their overt racism than microaggressions because i if i know you're overtly racist i know what to do with you she was like but it's more difficult when you have five or ten microaggressions and you're sitting there trying to be like was that really real did it happen did it mean it and then people are like oh you're just acting you're you know you're just being crazy you're just making a big deal about you're just being dramatic and so i think you know like i tell people like what you're going through is real and valid and wow it's good to have someone there who's like yeah that was Was valid, understand that you don't need someone else to validate what you're going through. You are going through
0: it. Absolutely. Thanks so much, John, for joining the podcast, for sharing your experience, and thank you so much for the work you do. I'll make sure to link both of your businesses and the podcast notes. I appreciate you, friend. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for tuning into the episode. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Are you an immigrant or a child of immigrants? Do you know someone who is an immigrant who would love to share their immigration journey or entrepreneurship journey? I would love to host you and get to know your story. This is a safe space for us to create a community. Please contact me at info at alisadel.com. Until next time.